This is Ham College, Episode 3 for March 31st, 2015. This episode of Ham College is brought to you by ICOM. Out from the shack and into the sun, brighten your day with ICOM. Welcome to Ham College, episode number three. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And we've got a, another fine show lined up for you this evening. We've got a few experiments we're going to do, a little testing. Testing in more than one way tonight. Yeah, that's going to be fun. And we're going to do some more uh, review of the question pool. We sure are. And we've got a chat room going, as we always do during Ham College. And that is amateurlogic.tv slash chat. And if you're in the chat room on YouTube watching the live stream, we can't see that. So come over to this chat room, and, and uh, we'd like to have you over there so we can have some interaction later when it comes chat room time. Yeah, yeah, we do. So let's talk about some of the things that uh, were in the last episode here. We talked about early radio receivers, didn't we? Yeah, did a demonstration of crystal radios. We actually did. Um, we use a Vectronics kit. I don't think there's a hammer around that didn't like crystal radios. I bet every single one of us pretty much had one. Pretty much. At some point. I had, I don't know how many I had. It was a lot of them, and they didn't, none of them worked really until, <laughs> until I was grounded. I finally get some to work. But. Oh, yeah. I had one that worked. I used to lay up on my bed and, and listen to it. Yeah. It was like I said, I, I lived too far from a radio station, I think, when I was a kid for it to work. Uh, we also we used an oscillator there. You could see that in the photo, uh, just as an AM transmitter. That's not really a transmitter, but it, it kind of is. It generates a frequency. Yeah, you know, that's a radio station in a box. We we've been covering questions about call signs, and we're going to do some more of that today. But we're also going to get in to a little more technical stuff and uh, a little, have a little fun with it. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of theory and stuff. Looking forward to that. Yeah, well, right now I think it's time we get on into the history lesson for tonight. You know, we've covered the things in the last few months that you mentioned, uh, radios, spark, spark gap transmitters, early receivers, and so forth. So all that stuff's powered by electricity. Mm-hmm. So let's take a look at some uh, different properties of electricity, one voltage in particular this month. Yeah, we're going to focus in on voltage. Yeah. Focusing on voltage. Now, by definition, voltage is the change in electrical potential between two positions. At times, you may hear voltage referred to as electrical tension. I've heard that, I've heard that in the past. Voltage was named after Italian physicist Alessandro Volta. While Volta didn't invent the battery, he's credited with making the first chemical battery. It's called a voltaic pile because it consisted of a pair of, actually a pile of, that's almost a tongue twister. Yeah. A pile of pairs of <laughs> copper and zinc discs. And that's, that's an interesting looking contraption. That's what that is. When I saw the photo and you sent it over, I I didn't think that was a battery. But it is, huh? Yeah. Voltage can be thought of as pressure on electrons to move it through the circuit. This is very similar to the pressure on the water hose that moves the water through. A 12-volt battery will exert twice the pressure as a 6-volt battery. Hmm. 
Voltage can push electrons into a component such as a resistor. This creates current. Voltage is proportional to current. If the voltage increases, the current also increases by the same amount. Of course, there are a lot more factors involved in electricity than just voltage alone. We'll be covering more of those in the future. We put a detailed and understandable format together for some of the others. Oh yeah, there's there's going to be a lot to cover in it. If you see my shirt here tonight, yeah, yeah, just checking that out. It's pretty appropriate for yeah. tonight's show. Uh, it's it's the law, Ohm's law. It's not just a suggestion. It's no. the law. And we're going to be covering that uh, thoroughly in the future. But tonight we're just going to talk about voltage because we've got some questions from your exam on voltage. Right. And we're, we're, in the future we're going to try to keep the the projects kind of in context and yeah. some of the history in context of what's in the yeah. question pool. With what we're studying at that so. time. I like this meter here, Tom. I, man, the detail that they went into, the, the engraving on the front of that. And all, that's yeah, really it's pretty cool. nice. It's very nice. I, I ran across that picture. I thought it was pretty impressive. Yep. Well, do you think it's time we did a little project? Let's do it. This right here is the world's most popular voltometer. It's a Simpson 260. You can find these at Hamfest still. And you might wonder, with all the digital meters that are out there today, why would you want an analog one? Well, there's just a lot of reasons that I still love an analog meter. Because you can just kind of glance at it and and see that something's going on. Yeah, something was uh, going on. a little blurry there. Huh? Something was going on. Yeah. So let's let's look at a few of the batteries we brought here. First off, I've got this 12 volt battery that we use to power our spark gap, uh, and it's a 12 volt, 7.5 ampere hour. Pretty good sized little battery. If we want to measure that on our voltmeter. The first thing we need to do on one like this is put it on positive DC and select a voltage range. We need to pick out a range here that's greater than the voltage we're going to measure. So in this case, we would go to the 50 volt scale because the next lowest one is 10 volts. If we had it on the 10 volt scale, we touch our probes on there, that meter's going to slap all the way to the end, and that's not good. So we put it on the 50-volt scale here. You want to do the honors, Tommy? Sure. So we're on the 50-volt scale here. That means if we're looking across here, one of these scales, we're on DC with the switch. So we look out here at the DC ones. These are the black ones. One of those has 50 on it. So that's the line of numbers we're going to work with. So if we come across right here, where it says 10 is 10 volts, of course, then 20, 30, 40, 50. We're three notches above 10 volts there, so that means we're at 13 volts. That's and probably that's a 12-volt battery. Why are, we, why are we at 13 volts? Well, let's verify that we are. This is an old Radio Shack meter here. I'd, I don't know how old this thing is, but on it, we're going to the range of numbers here that, that are under D.C., we need a voltage that's going to be a little higher than that battery, so we're going to put it on 20 volts. And if you'll do the honors there. Oh, well, my hands are quit shaking. This says it's 12.8 volts. So that's they're, pretty close. They're pretty close to each other. Yeah. Some slight variance there. Now, reverse your leads. You've got the black on the negative and the red on the positive. Reverse them there. And it says negative 12.8. 7.9 or 
it's okay on a digital meter. Your, your positive and negative don't absolutely have to, to be correct. But on an analog meter, yeah, you pretty much need to put the red leader, whatever's plugged right. in the positive, on the red terminal or the positive terminal there. Or else it's going to make that meter try to slap backwards. That's not good. I've got one more digital meter over there. Let's take a look at it. Now, what we were showing you on this one, we need to select a range just like we did on the Simpson there. But here's another one that's called an auto-ranging meter, and you'll see a lot of these today. On this one, it selects a range automatically when you connect to your battery or whatever it is you're measuring. You'll notice that there's two different Vs on here for voltage. There's one of them that has a straight line with a dotted line up under it, and another one looks like a sort of like a waveform there. The one with the straight lines is DC voltage. The ones that has the wave on it, that is AC voltage. Of course, the battery is DC, so we'll put our meter here on DC. The little end of the range there says that we're looking at millivolts now, and you can see it's really jumping around. Tommy's going to hook it up there. 12.77. Did say 12.78. So still, you know, within... Pretty close. A, yeah. Within a few millivolts of each. Now, the, the end of the scale here says volts now because it, it's auto-arranging. It's going to select which range it needs to be in. That's good sometimes, but, but sometimes it's not. You want to select the scale that you're going to be working with. You can still do that on a meter like this. You can hit the range button there, and you can force that decimal point to move around. Of course, it's going to overflow if we uh, go too far there. Let's look at some batteries. You'd say this one's a 12-volt, pretty good-sized battery. This is a D-cell right here. What's that going to measure, Tommy? Uh, it's going to measure about 1.5 volts. Well, let's find out. We're on the 2.5-volt scale, so that's going to be top set of black numbers there. You can't really see it from here, but uh, just take my word for it. It's coming up to uh, 1.6. That's a volt and a half. If we went down to the next size, this is a double A right here. It, is it less voltage? It's smaller. It's be a volt and a half. Yep, uh, 1.559. Still yep. a volt and a half. Just the capacity's yep. less. And we'll go into that the amount actually of, later yeah, as well. How much current it can supply. Here's a triple A. That's that's about half the size of that double A there. Still 1.558, so still a 1.5 volt battery. I skipped the C cell. We know what it's going to be. It's going to be 1.5, of course. 1.59. Now, this one right here, this little button cell... That's way smaller than any of these other batteries. And I probably use more of those batteries than any other. Yeah, that's what's... Uh, that goes in a lot of things. I don't remember the number on this one. LR44? Yep. 1.5 volts. Yep, 1.5. So all of those are a volt and a half. Typically, a single cell is a volt and a half uh, with uh, carbon-zinc batteries here. It'll be a different voltage with uh, different chemical combinations. Right. All right, let me move Right, so like a there. NICAD battery of this size is only going to supply 1.2 volts. How do you make voltage or, or the different ways that, that you can get voltage? 
uh, or electricity? Well, the simplest one there is, and let me get my cheat sheet out here before I forget it, is static electricity. And I've just got a few pieces of paper there. What I'm going to do is, well, I'm going to take this hairbrush, brush it a little bit. I'm sure most of us have probably done this in science class. There we go. Oh, there you we go. Got one that time. So anyway, static electricity. <laughs> and you can do that with a balloon and wool and a bunch of different things. Oh, yeah. Or it's real easy to do in the wintertime when you slide across the car seat and grab the handle. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's real popular in low humidity yeah. environments. And another way to make electricity is electrochemical, and that's that's a battery. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another way, electromagnetic. Yeah, yeah so we can uh, we can demonstrate that. Yeah, the same principle your car alternator uses, uh, almost any generator. Yeah. Here's a little motor. Now, would you think that could be a generator too? Oh no, that's just a motor. That's just a motor. Well, let's find out. I'm just going to spin this little motor with my fingers and let's see what happens. You notice that meter's jumping backwards? Yeah, spin it the other way. Yeah, this is DC. If I spin it the other way... Oh, nice. Yeah, we can see we're generating a little bit of electricity there. It's DC. I can't read the scale from here. It's it's way less than a volt, less than a quarter volt. 0.2 volts. I'll buy that. Just by spinning the motor there. Spin it backwards, it's the opposite polarities. Somebody in the chat room suggested we hook the batteries up in, in uh, series. Yeah, let's do that. We weren't really going to talk about batteries today so much. We're mostly going to focus on voltage, but, but it is a that's good a good point. Combining the voltage. Yeah, so we'll take a, uh, a D cell here and a C cell. And we just measure the D cell. We've got approximately a volt and a half there. If we put it in series with the C cell, we got three volts. They right. just add together. Yep. Now, I don't have the stuff here to do it with. If we put them in parallel and measured them, we'd have a volt and a half. Yeah, but you just have more capacity. Yeah, that's something we're going to get into all of those type of things in the future. Uh, voltage, uh, current resistance yeah know. that's that's fun stuff batteries i've always been fascinated with batteries ever mm -hmm. since i was a little kid yep my shirt here explains it all but we're not even going to talk about my shirt today it's, uh, it's just there's something to think about it's huh? something to think about just don't it's, break the law it's the law you can't break the law really static electricity electrochemical uh, electromagnetic there's another type or, or a way of generating electricity, isn't it? What is it? I, you brought it with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Solar. Solar power. Harness the power of the sun. Here. Oh, you got alligator clips on it. Well, let's, let's hook that up and see In if we can get any voltage out of that. In this instance, we're going to harness the power of the studio lights. All right, we're on 50-volt scale here. Let's just see if those studio lights are bright enough to produce any voltage. Well, actually they are. Let's see yeah, what that is. Yeah, I was getting is. like 15 volts out of it earlier. And that's exactly what I'm getting now, 15 volts. There's one more thing I want to show you about this meter. You see that little mirror behind that scale there? 
You can see it because yeah. it's kind of shiny here. There's a reflection of that pointer in that mirror right there. This is what's called a mirrored scale, and, and not all meters or analog meters have this. The way you're supposed to use that, you've got what you call parallax error. If you're standing off to the side and reading this, the numbers are going to look different than if you're standing in the middle or on the other side. So to get rid of that error, what you do is you, you look right there at the reflection, and you can see as I turn the meter here, if I can get it to where the light shines, you, you can go. see the reflection is off. You move your eye till you're exactly in line so that the reflection is right in line with the, with the, the needle. needle itself. Oh, yeah. Then you know when you're, what you're reading there is the exact right spot on the scale. That's 10 and 3 marks past 13 volts. So there you go. Excellent. That's what a mirrored scale is all about. I picked this exact meter out on purpose because of that mirrored scale. You know, I went to the ham fest here in Jackson a few years ago and a guy there was rebuilding this Simpson 260 meters. He had a lot of them there. Yeah, I remember when you bought that. But that, and I don't remember what I paid now. It was less than 100 60 bucks. 60 bucks. I purposely picked out the one with the mirrored scale because I, I knew what that was about and uh, I think this was probably the only one he had at that time. Really? But you'll see these at Hamfest. Pick you up one. It's yeah. less than 100 bucks. I really like having an analog and a digital meter. Both have their, uh, their strong point, but there's certain things that you can do with the analog so much easier than you can do with the digital. Yeah. Now, maybe not quite as accurate on some stuff, but a lot of measurements, that really doesn't matter. But we'll, we'll be looking at some more of this in the future, and we've... We've looked at that type of thing on Amateur Logic before as well. 60 bucks, that was a pretty good deal. That, that thing's in really good shape, too. Oh, yeah. They practically look brand new. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be talking about uh, meters some more in the future, uh, the, the different kind of measurements that you can do, the different components of electricity like uh, current and resistance and power. You know, we're going to dig into that deeper. We were just briefly touching on voltage today because that's... That's what we were at, right. questions on voltage. So we'll be going further than that. Be careful when you're measuring live circuits, particularly, you know, something with a higher voltage like, you know, that 110-volt AC. Be particularly careful with that. Don't do it if you don't know what you're doing. And never measure the ohms of an electrical socket. Never measure the ohms of a battery. Never measure ohms on any circuit that's energized unless you want to let the magic smoke out of your major because <laughs> it's uh is that the voice of experience that is the voice of experience um i did not do it myself but some some of my friends did it and yeah, I, once I witnessed knew a guy, it. Huh? yeah i once knew a guy so <laughs> not not a pretty thing yeah we're going to be doing something special at dayton this year aren't we yeah that's going to be a lot of fun we're going to do Amateur Logic live from the ICOM booth on uh, Saturday, which is May the 16th from 2 right. to 4 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. ICOM is setting up a special stage and set just for us to do that. Yeah, it's going to be streamed. It's going to be streamed live. Stream, and uh, plus it'll be taped yeah. and, and released later as a regular Amateur Logic episode as well. Yep. But but if you're at the Dayton Hamvention, come by and see us. And uh, yeah, 
We wear your amateur logic shirt. Come yep. represent him. Show the colors, because you know Tommy and I are going to feel pretty bad if if we show up there to do this and nobody's. We don't have an audience. Yeah. You know, we We're need the only a big ones crowd. in that whole big hall. Yeah, that's. The <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we could empty the whole thing out, but I don't think we could either. But it, it's going to be a great time. We we are currently trying to plan out what exactly we're going to do this is a, a special event it's a two-hour live amateur logic from hamvention yeah it's kind, hey. of, kind of a big deal for us so we're, we're putting a lot of thoughts into it and hopefully we'll have something pretty special yeah we appreciate icom uh, hosting that for us yeah. and allowing us to do that there yeah, absolutely so, so we'll let you know more about that as it gets a little closer to time speaking of icom you know they they bring ham college to you Let's have a message from them. Out from the shack and into the sun. Brighten your day with ICOM's selection of handhelds, mobiles, and HF rigs. Step outside with ICOM's ID51A Plus Digital Dual Bander. Features include free downloadable RSMS1A Android app, near-me repeater function for D-Star as well as analog repeaters, and integrated GPS. Hit the road with ICOM's analog IC2730A mobile or the digital ID5100A with internal GPS. Both radios include optional Bluetooth capability for a hands-free operation, 50 watts output power on both VHF and UHF, and a large backlit screen for high-contrast viewing. Get mobile with ICOM's IC7100 D-Star radio, which provides multiband and all-mode communications, and an angled control head and touchscreen for user-friendly operation. For solid HF operation this season, try ICOM's IC7600. This rig offers advanced DSP technology and three IF roofing filters, dual watch on the same band, and LED backlighting on an ultra-wide 5.8-inch display. Let ICOM brighten your day with their selection of handhelds, mobiles, and HF rigs. Make sure you visit icomamerica.com slash amateur today for more information on ICOM's complete line of amateur radio products. Well, let's get on into a few questions here and uh, try to get some people prepared to take their exams. All right. So the Amateur Radio Rules and Regulations, or FCC Part 97, and you can download them at this address right here from the ARRL. If you want to study the questions and the questions that we're actually using right here, ARRL.org slash question dash pools. And that's where you can find all of these questions that we're going to be going over here. So let's get on to our first question here tonight. Tommy, what is the ITU? A, an agency of the United States Department of Telecommunication Management. B, United Nations Agency for Information and Communication Technology Issues. Or C, an independent frequency coordination agency. D, a department of the FCC. And which do you think it is? Well, I, I got a funny feeling it's B. <laughs> a funny feeling it's B. Well, you're right. A United Nations Agency for Information and Communications Technology Issues. You know, they um, they coordinate between all the different countries to make sure that people are using the right bands and frequencies for the right modes of communication. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you because uh, I actually thought that it was not that one before because last month we talked about United Nations and it was not the right answer and I kind of second-guessed myself yeah. at first. But. Yeah. An agency of the United States Department of Telecommunications. No, not the United States. It's the International Telecommunications Union. Right. 
C, an independent frequency coordination agency. No, no. I don't think we would get an independent to work with all the different countries in the world that easy. And it's not the Department of the FCC because that's not international. No. That is showing us the three different regions of the International Telecommunications Union. Uh, In the blue there, you can see the United States, uh, North America, South America. Mm -hmm. Uh, Over there in the uh, yellowish color, you can see the next region. Europe and Africa. Yep. Next question, though. Why are the frequency assignments for some U.S. territories different than those in the 50 states? A, some U.S. territories are located in ITU regions other than Region 2. All right. And by the way, we are in Region 2. The blue. Yep. Uh, B, territorial governments are allowed to select their own frequency allocations. C, territorial frequency allocations must also include those of adjacent countries. And D, in a territory that was in existence before the ratification of the Communications Act of 1934 is exempt from FCC frequency regulations. Well, is it my turn? It is your turn. Well, I'm going to reason these out here. Let's, let's start at the bottom of the list. D, in a territory that was in existence before the ratification of the Communications Act of 1934 is exempt from frequency, uh, FCC frequency regulations? No. Um, I know that one's not right. C, territorial frequency allocations must also include those of adjacent countries? No, not necessarily. B, territorial governments are allowed to select their own frequency allocations? You, you know that's not right, so it's got to be A, some U.S. territories are located in ITU regions other than Region Yeah, that's two. the only one that really makes any sense. And, and that's it, enough. because, you know, uh, some U.S. territories are in, in different regions of the world mm-hmm. and, and not in, uh, you know, ITU Region 2. Why are frequency assignments for U.S. stations operating maritime mobile not the same everywhere in the world? A, amateur maritime mobile stations in international waters must conform to the frequency assignments of the country nearest to their vessel. Uh, B, amateur frequency assignments can vary among the three ITU regions. Frequency, uh, I'm sorry, C, frequency assignments are determined by the captain of the vessel. Or D, amateur frequency assignments are different in each of the 90 ITU zones. 90, All right. 90 huh? Yep. So this one, this is your question, Tommy. So what do you think? Okay, so I'm thinking it's going to be... And the Jeopardy music is playing here. A. You think it's A? B. B. You said I was right. No, that's not what you said. (laughs) You don't get a fist bump on that one. Why are frequency assignments for U.S. stations operating maritime mobile not the same everywhere in the world? Well, A, amateur maritime mobile stations in international waters must conform to the frequency assignments of the country nearest to their vessel. Well, you know, that almost sounds right. Yeah. And if you look at it on the map, it probably, in a lot of cases, it probably is right. It probably is. But... um, 
Well, let's look at C. Frequency assignments are determined by the captain of the vessel. Yeah, that's funky. Yeah, you know, that's not it. D, amateur frequency assignments are different in each of the 90 ITU zones. It must have had an expansion. Yeah. Bumped it up to 90. Yeah, because there's only three ITU zones, so you can pretty much rule that one out. So B, amateur frequency assignments can vary among the three ITU regions. There you go. And that's it. So uh, not... Not too terribly hard to uh, reason out there. What type of international communications are permitted by an FCC-licensed amateur station? A, communications incidental to the purpose of the amateur service and remarks of a personal character. B, communications incidental to conducting business or remarks of a personal nature. C, only communications incidental to contest exchanges, all of the all other communications are prohibited. D, any communications that would be permitted by an international broadcast station. And this one's mine. It's yours. All right, I'm just going to reason them out here. D, any communication that would be permitted by an international broadcast station. We are, uh, I don't even know what that means. Do you ask an international broadcast station if it's okay for you to do something? No, um, and and the rules wouldn't be the same for international broadcast station either. We're not broadcasters. We're amateurs. So you right. know the word broadcast just kind of will throw it out immediately. C, only communication is incidental to contest exchanges. All other communications are prohibited? No. You can, no. You can talk to foreign countries. Um, and it doesn't have to be a contest. B, communication is incidental to conducting business or remarks. Nope. When you hear that word right there, you know that's wrong. Yep. Business. You can't conduct business on amateur radio. So all we got left is A, communications incidental to the purposes of the amateur service and remarks of a personal character. And there are some personal characters. There you go. With which countries are FCC licensed amateur stations prohibited from exchanging communications? A, any country whose administration has notified the ITU that it objects to such communications? B, any country whose administration has notified the ARRL that it objects to such communications? C, any country engaged in hostilities with another country? Or D, any country in violation of the War Powers Act of 1934? Okay, what do you think it is? Well, it's your, it's your turn to answer. Yeah, no. What do I think it is? Yeah. Um... I know what it is. Yeah, I know, because you typed all the answers in. Yeah. And with any country whose administration... Well, let's reason them out. Let's just start at the bottom, like we did before. Any country in violation of the War Powers Act of 1934? I've never even heard of that. Any country engaged in hostilities with another country? Number C there. B, any country whose administration is notified to ARRL, that's not going to be it because ARRL is just... The it has nothing state. to do with it, yeah. FC, well, or FCC licensed amateurs. Any country whose administration has notified the ITU. I'm thinking it's A. A? Well, let's just see. And you're correct. All right. Push point. All right. One more time. All right. It's the ITU. You know, that's the International Telecommunications Union. Those are the folks who coordinate the frequencies throughout the world. If a country notifies them that, uh, hey, they don't want amateur radio going on there, that's the answer. The yeah. others, um, 
nothing to do with the War Powers Act. Uh, a country can be engaged in hostilities with another country. You could still talk to them if it's if if it's permitted. And the ARL and uh, and answer B there. ARL has has nothing to do with with the actual laws. Yeah. You know, some of these are are kind of tough. So you got to really think through a lot of them. Yep. But uh, yeah, you really do. And you know, right now. You don't have to worry about that too much because there's only two countries that have notified the ITU that they object. And they are? And they are North Korea or the Democratic People's Republic of North Korea. And I don't even know how to pronounce this one. Eritrea? E-R-I-T-R-E-A. Wow, I've never even heard of that. Eritrea. Well, I kind of figured North Korea was, was yeah. on there. So we don't know the name of the second one there, but it's um, you can't talk to them. So I don't guess I'm it matters. I'm not really sure I want to. Yeah, I don't guess I probably would either if they don't want to talk right. to me. So what we got next? Well, the next one, and I guess this is mine, to which foreign stations do the FCC rules authorize the transmission of non-emergency third-party communications? A, any station whose government permits such communications. B, those in ITU Region 2 only. C, those in ITU Region 2 and 3 only. D, those in ITU Region 3 only. Is it my turn? It is your turn. Okay, I'm going to say it has nothing to do with the ITU Regions as to uh, who I can talk non-emergency third-party communications. Pretty much so narrows it down. Narrows lot, it down it? to A, any stations whose government permits such communications. And I am correct. All right. Way to go. When are you allowed to operate your amateur stations in a foreign country? A, when the foreign country authorizes it. B, when there is a mutual agreement allowing third-party communications. C, when authorization permits amateur communications in a foreign country. Or, I'm sorry, in a foreign language. Yeah. And D, when you are communicating with non-licensed individuals in another country. This one's yours. to operate your amateur station in a foreign country. Um, Okay, when you communicate... D, when you... Communicating with non-licensed, that's not right. See, yeah, why would, yeah, well, you, non-licensed you're talk folks. To non-licensed. Yeah. We, we don't talk to those kind of people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not on the radio. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, see, when authorization permits amateur communications, that's uh, In that's a foreign gonna, language, in no. Foreign language, that's no. not going to matter. There's foreign, there's a mutual agreement allowing third party... I say it's a when foreign country authorizes it. And you would be correct. Ding, ding. Because on B there, they're talking about third-party communications. Right. The question had nothing to do with third-party communications. Trying to uh, trick you. Yeah. It doesn't matter what language you're using, at least in the U.S., except when you ID. So I wouldn't think it mattered in another country. And uh, communicating with non-licensed individuals... No, that that just doesn't make sense. Right. Over uh, 75 countries have reciprocal operating agreements with the U.S. 
All right, next question. Which of the following restrictions apply when a non-licensed person is allowed to speak to a foreign station using the station under the control of a technician class control operator? A, the person must be a U.S. citizen. B, the foreign station must be one with which the U.S. has a third-party agreement. C, the licensed control operator must do the station identification. Or D, all those choices are correct. And I'm glad this is your question, Tommy. It is? Yep. When a non-licensed person is allowed to speak. <laughs> Actually, it's mine. I, I know it is. I was going <laughs> to... I'll let you go ahead, though. No, go for it. Go for it. Well, hey, the person must be a U.S. citizen. No, I, I don't think that is right. Uh B, the foreign station must be one with which the U.S. has a third-party agreement. I'm going to say that, that is, that's the answer right there. All right, way to go. All right. Ding, ding. C, the license control operator must do the station identification. No, it doesn't matter. You can let somebody else, even if you're a control operator, you can let somebody else do the ID. And, you know. uh, D, all of these choices are correct. No. Only we can tell them. by the yellow line that that's clearly not the answer. Yes, you're right. <laughs> okay. All right. Moving right along. From which of the following locations may an FCC licensed amateur station transmit in addition to places where the FCC regulates communications? That just reads kind of weird, doesn't it? Yeah, but I think I got it now. Okay. A from within any country that belongs to the International Telecommunications Union? B, from within any country that is a member of the United Nations. C, from anywhere within ITU Regions 2 and 3. And D, from any vessel or craft located in international waters and documented or registered in the United States. This is kind say, of a tricky one. Yeah, I'm going to say it's a D. D. Yep. This is a tricky that one here. That doesn't even make sense to me. From which of the following locations may an FCC licensed amateur station transmit in addition to places where the FCC regulates communications? Yeah, you know, that... This is a really that's weirdly it. worded question yeah. to me. It's, it, it's Well, it means I've got an FCC license... Where else can I transmit besides where the FCC controls things? And it's, it's from uh, any vessel or craft, international waters, and documented or registered to the United States. You know, you would think some of these others might be correct, like A, from within any country that belongs to the International Telecommunications Union. I think the key there is within any country. No, within certain countries you could if um, there was an agreement. Yeah, if there's an agreement. Uh, B, from within any country that's a member of the United Nations. No, the any country thing, I think, throws it okay. out. We could talk from some countries that are members of the United Nations. And C, anywhere from within ITU regions 2 or 3. The regions, that's, yeah. that's not yeah, it. I get it. It, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a really that's a really tricky one there. Yeah. So, so really be on the lookout for that one if it comes up on your exam. It may not, you know, but... Uh, you never know which questions are going to going to come yeah. up on your particular exam. So let's move on to the next one here. 
On which of the following occasions may an FCC-licensed amateur radio station exchange messages with a U.S. military station? A. During an Armed Forces Day communications test. B. During a Memorial Day celebration. C. During an Independence Day celebration. Or D. During a propagation test. All right, so I'm going to reason these out. Um... We're talking about an FCC-licensed amateur station like you or me exchanging messages with a U.S. military station. That's Normally we couldn't talk to them, so I'm going to say D during a propagation test. No, no, I don't think that's it. During an Independence Day celebration. What's that really got to do with it? Yeah, what's anything? that really got to do with it? During a Memorial Day celebration. Same thing. Same thing. So it's got to be A during an Armed Forces Day communications test it is a during an armed forces day communications test cool now we've been through all of the questions on your technician exam that have something to do with call signs or operating from foreign governments or or countries and all that type of stuff yeah those and those are kind of the trickier ones to me they they are obviously by the way i did today yeah you would have you would have flunked today i think (laughs) I got it. Here, give me give me your license. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, uh, Mike Ve three Mic said Mars or Caps. Yeah, um, you know some amateurs participate in that, but I think you've got to be a member Mm -hmm. to to do that. I mean, just a regular amateur couldn't. Yeah, you don't have. uh, You're not supposed to use some of those frequencies. Yeah. Um, so that's all. All the call sign questions. I'm glad that we're kind of through those. And yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, like I said, they're they're not really the more fun questions that are out there, but there no. are things that you need to know. Yeah, you need to know them, and they're necessary. Yeah, some of them were kind of tough, really, really were. Like I say, it, it's uh, it's clear that these are you know these questions going through these refreshers are good for people that have been licensed for a long time. Yeah. So we've been talking about call signs. You know, if you want to look up somebody's call sign and get more details on that, there's a website you can go to. It's qrz.com. And there's a little box on there. You can type in anybody's call sign you want to, and it'll bring up the details. Yeah. And and give you information about, uh, well, their address, uh, you know, where they're located, a class of license and all of that. I think the policies have changed on that website so that yeah. you, you have to be a member of it now. And, yeah. and, and it's free. You just make an account. Yeah. And you have to log in. Then you have access to it. Otherwise, you only get just a yeah, very just little bit of Yeah, just basically the name and, right. and not much more than that. But qrz.com to look up call signs. There's other ones out there, too. Uh, other call sign search engines. Yeah, that's probably uh, the more but popular one. Q- yeah, definitely QRZ, uh, QRZ is a more popular one. Well, we got a little time left and you know we talked about voltage a little earlier. Yeah. So why don't we just take a few questions here on voltage. Okay. That sounds uh, good. Because that that's kind of a fun subject. What is the basic unit of electromotive force? A the volt. B the watt. C the ampere. Or D ohms. That one is going to be, I'm going to say, the ampere. (laughs) (laughs) Give me that license, man. (laughs) I quit, man. I'm going home. 
The vault. <laughs> the vault. And I just did the thing on the vault. Yeah, you did. <laughs> this is not a good day. Yeah. <laughs> electromotive force. EMF. Just just remember that electromotive force is voltage. Uh, because that's going to come up in several of these questions on here. And the funny thing about it is I knew that. Because I just actually went through this whole thing last uh, did, night yeah. when I was prepping. <laughs> Well, that's the way it goes. Next question. What is the electrical term for the electromotive force, EMF, that causes electron flow? And it's A, voltage. B, ampere hours. C, capacitance. D, inductance. I'm going to let you try to redeem yeah. yourself wow. on this one, Let's Tommy. see. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to say maybe it might be A this time. Wow, after I humiliated myself on the <laughs> yeah. last one. Yeah. <clears throat> Just when I thought you couldn't do anything any dumber, <laughs> you've gone and totally redeemed totally yourself. Redeemed yourself. Yeah, yeah. D it, inductance. Nah, that's not it. No. C capacitance. No. Ampere hours. B. Nope. Voltage. Just remember electromotive force and voltage, and you'll be okay. Yeah, and the key, the the key is flow. 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 Yeah, voltage, voltage is uh, electron flow. Yep, or electromotive force. Or electromotive force. You'll, you'll see that come up a lot of uh, um, different places. They're using yeah. which is not a word that I would normally think of for you know for something like that. But that's that's I'm what sure it that's is. why they put it there. Yeah. Let's stump up George and Tommy. Big type of them. Next question. Which instrument would you use to measure electric potential or electromotive force? A, an ammeter. B, a voltmeter. C, a wave meter. Or D, an ohmmeter. Or E, a Simpson 260. Yep. So we used that a little earlier. Well, let's see. You answered last one. I'll answer this one. What would I use to measure electric potential or electromotive uh, force? This is pretty much a freebie, man. Yeah. Electromotive force, we know that's got something to do with voltage, so it's not D, an ohmmeter. It's not C, a wave meter. It's B, a voltmeter. And it's not A, an ammeter. Gotta be B. Gotta and there we go. Gotta be B. Gotta, gotta be B. Yep. A voltmeter. Of course, this is an ohmmeter and an ampmeter and all of that, too. Yes, so maybe, maybe I shouldn't have shown that. But uh, We got one final question here. All right. I don't know how they've been doing in the chat room. I have not been watching it. Yeah. But, uh, we're going to find out here a little in a minute. Bit. I'm almost scared to look. Yeah. So last question for this episode. What is the correct way to connect a voltmeter and a circuit? A- in series with the circuit. B, in parallel with the circuit. C, in quadrature with the circuit. Or D, in phase with the circuit. And this is yours. Okay, well, I'm going to say, I guess I'll reason them out. In series, that's that wouldn't be the way you wanted to measure volts. No, I don't yeah. think so. I'm, the answer is B. In quadrature, I'm not even sure what that means. Uh, no, I wouldn't for a voltmeter. I, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you just hook it up in parallel, which means that 
positive positive negative to negative yep so and it's not in phase with the circuit either right yeah so just like we showed you uh, a little earlier it's in parallel we took the battery and we just connected just across positive and negative there on the 15th of each month, ICOM is proud to sponsor AmateurLogic.tv with hosts George Thomas, Tommy Martin, and Peter Barrett. This looks a little crude, but roughly here's what I have. The bottom trace here is ground. While the elements will jiggle some, they're actually not too bad. It's light. After putting it together, I decided to test everything, so I ran in 12 volts, and I'm measuring the output here. No, it's not too windy right now, Jim. It was yesterday. Actually turn that into a scanner capable of tuning across a wide range of frequencies. Whoa, okay. What is this called? We're in the antenna switching matrix. Any one of our six broadcast transmitters could be connected to any of the 22 antennas via the switching matrix. Down in Melbourne, apparently they, they tune up their radios <laughs> different than we do, Tommy. Oh, yeah? Now, the FM 900 is tough. Seriously tough. We finally arrived. Man, we are in Ham Nirvana. Again. Boy, what what a great time. And and as happened last year, we still haven't got all the way through the flea market yet. No, we've been hit about a fourth of it, but we're going to have to strike a trot. Well, the moment of truth has arrived. I've attached a BNC connector to the antenna terminals here. I've got plus 12 volt in the ground uh, power coming in here. It's going to my uh, power supply. Uh, that I'm supplying it with 13.8 volts. And I personally am so thrilled that George got the special award. Well deserved, my friend. That's really cool. Yeah, what about the Super Bowl, Emil? Did you go to the Super Bowl or were you at home uh, operating that night? Tuning my amplifier and oh, I lost power in the shack and uh, went outside. The house lost power. <laughs> the whole neighborhood went out for about 30 minutes. I, I don't know what happened. Oh, huh. That explains a lot. All right, Tommy, sing the theme song here. And as we like to do here on Ham College, at the end of every show, we like to chat with the chat room just a little bit before we go. Yeah, so we've, we've got the chat room up here now, so if you've got any questions or whatever or comments, uh, let, them, let them loose. Yep. George, show us what happens to an electrolytic capacitor if you connect it uh, reverse polarity. Well, I didn't see the question when you asked it, Mike, or certainly would have done it, but I would be more interested in what happens when you take a capacitor, electrolytic, fold the leads down around the outside, charge it up, and then throw it to Tommy. Yeah, you're going to have to mute the microphones. Yeah. It's not that kind of show. It's not that kind of show, is it? You know, electronics is, is a lot of fun. I I got interested in it when I was a kid, and... Uh, when I went to uh, to college, I had been studying already before I got there. Of course, we started out on DC. Man, I was acing those tests. I had it all figured out. And then we got to AC, and, and my <laughs> world changed. Yeah, it rocked your whole world. <laughs> yep, it sure did. There's a lot, lot more to AC. When you get some frequency in there, yeah. Everything changes. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty different. Let's say hi to Electronube 
M6HYP, Morris. Hi, Morris. Hey, Morris. Glad you're with us tonight. Yeah. Glad all you guys in the chat room and girls. Uh, I think there's a few ladies out there, too. Uh, what John said earlier is he meant that uh, the meter to correct parallax, the reflection in the mirror of the needle points true to the number. And, yeah. Oh, okay. So just look at the reflection. The reflection is actually right on the scale itself. Oh, okay. So there's no distance oh, okay. between the, the needle and, no the, uh, and the scale. Uh, Ralph says yeah, you need trig for AC. Uh, yeah, you, you need a, <laughs> a lot of stuff for AC. It's not, maybe it's not as bad as, as I'm portraying it to be here, but it's certainly a little more difficult than DC. Yeah. But, hey, we're going to have to cover a little of that. Yeah. You know, uh, we did some stuff. Actually, was it episode one when we were doing uh, emergency power and power inverters and we looked at the sine wave mm -hmm. of a power inverter as opposed to regular AC? It was nasty, too, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I got another inverter after that that... It's pretty much a, a pure sine nice wave coming clean. out of it, nice yeah. and clean. Oh wow! But that little old cheap 300 watt inverter, man, it was, it was nasty. But hey, it was sure nice to have right after Katrina when we didn't have electricity for three yeah. days. That was that was episode number one. Yep. Of of amateur logic. Yeah, it's a little rough on the eyes. Watch those old ones like that. It is. It's a little blurry, but that's probably a good thing. I hope George and Tommy do not wear live mics. No one will hear them? Uh, hello. <laughs> yeah. Yep, we are wearing live mics, so. I think that, he means uh, Dayton. Oh, at Dayton. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, that's probably what he means, and we will probably be wearing live mics just to feed our cameras. Yeah. But what's going over the PA and, and out on the stream is, is going to be... Uh, yeah, we're going to need some regular mics. Probably going to be a Heil mic. Yeah. Mike has given us a link here to a list of free electronic circuit simulators. You know, those things yeah, are, got it here. are pretty nice. Okay, Tech Lab, QLogic. Spice. Yeah, free, free analog, free digital, free mixed signal. Simulators yeah. with proprietary licenses. A lot of them, that's... Well, that, that that Wikipedia page ought to keep you busy for a while looking around that. I think it will. I have not looked at this one before. A lot of them in here. Spice, LT Spice. Some of those are, are pretty nice. You know, our friend Jimmy used to uh, play with some of that. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Is there an electronic torch simulator? Torch? Yeah, propane torch. Oh, propane torch simulator. No, he didn't simulate that. Yeah, that was a real deal. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Well, thanks, Mike. Tommy, what do you say uh, we call it a show? All right, let's call it that. We appreciate you being here for Episode 3 of Ham College. we got more to come. We're going to get through these questions eventually. There's a lot of them in there. A lot of them are going to be the same. And if it's voltage, and one of the answers is electromotive force, that's probably the right one. Yeah, pick that. Pick that. If it's oh well, I don't. Maybe I'll not say that because I haven't looked at all the questions yet. But um, it's a pretty good chance. Pretty good chance. It's electromotive yeah. force. It's uh, the answer is voltage. Well, 
I guess we'll be back about the same time next month. We've got an episode of Amateur Logic coming out at the uh, middle of April. Yeah, about two weeks. About two weeks. And uh, we'll have another Ham College right after that. And then... In you about two more weeks. Yep. Two weeks seems to be kind of the It does. The and then in about two more weeks, we'll be live from Dayton Hamvention. All right. So I'm looking uh, forward to that one. A lot looking of fun. forward to all of them, really, but yeah. especially that one. Especially that one. That's going to be a lot of fun. Well, thanks for joining us. And also, thanks for all the, the comments and feedback we get about the show. And all of you new folks who have just discovered it and wanting to get licensed now, you know, we, we encourage you. It's, it's worth putting the time and effort into you're really going to have a lot of fun with amateur radio. Yeah, you, you won't regret it. You, you won't regret yeah, it. Yeah, it's one of the best things I've ever done. Doesn't matter how old you are, if you're five years old or 150. Yeah. Well, maybe not 150, but per, you can still be pretty old. Somebody to read the questions. Or pretty to young. Yeah. And you can get something out of ham radio. We recommend this book right here, Gordon West uh, Technician Class. 2014-2018, our friend Gordo's got a good book here to help you get started. There's a lot of other resources out there. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a uh, good one, though. That's one we kind of follow along with. Hamstudy.org is a website that uh, we recommend, too, where you can go and prepare for your technician, your general, or your extra class exam. Yeah, see here it says Powered by ICOM. Yeah, good resource, and we appreciate ICOM, um, you know. Helping out with that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, free also. So. It's free, yeah. So take advantage of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, ham radio. Just about anywhere you go in the world, if you're an amateur, you got a friend. And that's a good thing. Yeah, on the, if, you're not, if you don't have one there, you can find one on the other end of the, on the other radio. radio. Yeah. yeah. So. All right, well, I've run out about... Uh, stuff to say yeah. and i've about lost my voice for this one <clears throat> yeah i'm i'm gonna go and uh, find some supper i think that's a good idea so all right so 70 yeah appreciate you guys joining the 73 anything today but uh, the night's still young uh, you can find those at arrl2 arrl.org slash question dot pools dash dash pools arrl.org slash questions nope <laughs> no s on the end of that no nope. man who would have thought that would have been so tough <laughs>